0: This week's episode is sponsored by Spaces. Spaces is a new platform backed by 15 plus years of educator feedback designed to document the process and progress behind student learning in your classroom. Join the Spaces community to connect with educators across North America and gain access to free teacher-created resources, help educators who are just starting out on their journey, and learn new things from teachers who have been there before. So visit community.spacesedu.com today.
1: Uh, is this the teacher hotline?
0: Hello, everyone. My name is Ronald Hay, and I'm your host of the Teacher Hotline, where we try to answer some of the most pressing questions for teachers in and outside of the classroom. Today, our caller comes from Nicole from the Toronto District School Board. Nicole, what can we do for you today?
1: Hey, Ron. I've been a basketball coach for the last 15 years of my career, where basketball students are training at a high level in hopes of playing at the college or pro level. The one thing I've been thinking a lot about lately as we prepare for the school year is the area of sports psychology. Most of my PD and training has been tactical and strategic at coaches clinics, but I know that sports goes beyond that and there's a huge mental piece. Our school doesn't have access to a sports psychologist, so sometimes the coaches take on that role. And as a result, we deal with a lot of burnout, performance anxiety issues, staying motivated and rehabbing from injury, just to name a few. So I was wondering if maybe you knew someone that you could bring on to point coaches in the right direction for resources and how coaches can help their athletes through these common issues without having the proper training. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you so much, Nicole, for calling in with that question. With sports around the corner, I think we're all super excited to get back onto the field and the courts to be able to coach our athletes at the highest level possible. So today I bring in my colleague and expert, Sean Poitras, a social science teacher here at Appleby College, and he coaches also the Varsity Boys hockey team and soccer team. Sean has dedicated his life and career to the study of psychology. He received his bachelor's degree in sports and exercise psychology at Laurentian University and went on to receive his Master's of Education in Athletic Counseling Psychology from Springfield College. He also served as an adjunct professor at Sheridan College in various psychology courses, and worked as a consultant for several firms as a sports psychologist. He was also a previous owner in his own private practice called Focus North Performance, a sports psychology consulting firm. But the main reason why I invited Sean on today's show is not just because of his stellar credentials, Is because I actually sit beside him in the office, so it'd been really awkward if I never invited him on. So, Sean, here we go, baby. Welcome to Hollywood, my friend. (laughs) Thanks
2: so much for having me on. That's great. You know, it's this has been such a great podcast so far, and it's been nice to watch it grow from its infancy. So, thanks again for having me on. Happy to have you on, my man. Uh, This is what stardom looks like, my friend.
0: Right. Uh, So, Sean, we got lots to talk about today. Uh, Our caller asked a really great question. And with sports literally around the corner in a couple of weeks, uh, athletes are excited to go back onto the field and I'm sure coaches are ready to get to work. So there are a lot of questions that coaches have because they haven't really been actively doing this role for the last year and a bit. So let's start off by talking about what exactly does a sports psychologist do and what value do they bring to a sports team?
2: Oh, that's a great question. Uh, you know, a loaded one too. Uh, the field of sports psychology is is one that is chock full of not only misconceptions but also that that wonder, right? It definitely catches the ear. Um, you know, has has something that uh, a lot of people can relate to, not just athletes but you know performers in general. Um, so essentially it works along a pretty wide spectrum. Um, Sports psychology can attend to uh, things like performance anxiety, things like confidence issues. Um, But it can also be more of a uh, a preventative or anticipatory uh, tool that athletes will use um, to strengthen their their performance from the get-go. A lot of my athletes... And teams and uh, performers that I've I've encountered throughout my career, um, oftentimes will wait until there's there's some kind of a problem, some kind of an, of an issue, and we're now starting to see kind of that page be turned, and it's it's something that falls under the same category as what we would see with nutrition, uh, strength and conditioning, things like that. There are tools that athletes and teams um, take as more more of a training. Precaution, rather than uh, than just um, a, a quick fix when when needed. So, um, you know, if I were to really define kind of that that uh, role of sports psychology, um, it is really fine tuning those mental practices that just about every performance, every uh, sport, anything that requires. Um, you know all of your your physical, mental, or tactical um, primus in in uh, in any kind of competition. Um, you know there's always going to be that mental aspect, and kind of those would be those four pillars that that all athletes can kind of recognize that are extremely important. And we just focus on on those mental strengths.
0: Well, uh, I imagine most coaches don't have a sports psychology background or aren't trained to deal with a lot of these common issues that you discussed right off the top. So let's talk about some of these common issues around sports psychology as our caller brought up and talk about these scenarios and how coaches can approach our athletes without The training that you have uh, or perhaps you can even point them in the right direction for PD uh, where they can get some further help in terms of assisting uh, our athletes. So let's talk about one of the most common issues that we see in amateur and professional sports, which is performance anxiety or quote unquote choking under pressure. So we see that a lot in sports, right? We, I think one of the most common ones, I'm a big basketball fan, right? We, we see that with Paul George in the NBA. He's been getting a lot of flack uh, for, for calling himself playoff P, but then putting up like 15 points or 10 points in a game, shooting like 30%. Uh, So he's gotten a lot of flack for not delivering in key moments. And I know our high school athletes and even elementary school, you know, especially at such a young age, like the pressure can really get to our young athletes here. So number one, how real is performance anxiety? Is it really in our players head? Like, what does the research say about that? And number two, what can coaches or
2: can they do anything to help alleviate some of that anxiety? Yeah, that's hands down one of the hottest questions in the field of sports psychology. Right, that idea of uh, choking under pressure—you know—in those big moments, you want to have those mentally tough athletes, those mentally tough performers that uh, you know they have the confidence. You know, they have—they're driven by that that intrinsic motivation to succeed. They know how to win. All those uh, those big phrases, um, and you know, they, if you look at even the language that's used in, you know, professional sports, what we hear the announcers talk about, things like uh, momentum shifts, uh, like you, you mentioned, the, you know, the the c word there, choking under pressure. That is, uh, those are all concepts that you know are tightly, you know, put under the microscope here for for research in sports psychology. Um, so back when I was I was on the research end of of uh, the field. Um, my specialty or what I, I was riv- really driven to was um, basically athletic states of consciousness. What is it about different states of consciousness that can lead to performance shifts, right? And um, so a lot of the work that myself and my, my uh, supervisor that I was I was working under, the doctor I was working under, we were looking at the the concept of self talk um, and being able to maintain motivation and you know performance under pressure, things like that. Um, and we would try to relay. We did kind of run a number of uh, coaching clinics uh, when I was running my my private practice. That was actually one one piece that was probably the most popular as far as the work that I did was uh, coaching clinics, and it was these the exact style of question that we're hearing from, uh, well, right here. And then also from our caller. Um, and some of the best advice that both the research with, uh, you know, with what's out there for, for coaches or what teams have, have seen, um, is consistency from, from their coaches, right? The consistency throughout a, whether it be a season or leading up to a major event, um, being a coach well being coaches ourselves we know that when key moments do arise and we do know that it is a high pressure situation um we do have this tendency to kind of alter our coaching style as well right we will change those pregame speeches that we give coaches will change the way that they you know run a practice they'll change the way that they um you know, coach in game. Um, And it may not even be. I was going to say, do, th- do you think those like speeches in the middle of
0: games actually do anything? Like I, I was coaching volleyball at one point. I'm like, I don't know what to say, guys. <laughs> like in my mind. I didn't say that to my <laughs> coach, uh, to my players. But I'm like, do you think those things actually do anything in terms of the psychology of, you know, getting your your players amped up in the locker room? Or I don't know like, how much emphasis or how much weight should we put into those kind of like bench pep talks
2: there certainly is there certainly is some weight to it Uh, you know there's research put into you know where confidence confidence is is from like where does this this concept of of confidence and performance come from and verbal persuasion is right up there right Um, you know other concepts where other kind of theories would be uh you know things like vicarious learning watching watching somebody else you know, win a championship. So if uh, let's just say a local Toronto basketball team was in the playoffs and they just watched the Raptors win a championship, there is research that suggests that that vicarious observation um, does play a role in, in their confidence, right? They feel like, Oh, I just watched the Raptors win the championship. Now we're going to go out and, and do it as well. Verbal persuasion is another one. And, you know, we feel it, you know, even in the classroom, right? you, You give that verbal persuasion and, you know, whether it be a job well done, hey, good job, uh, you know, doesn't have to be you know, anything more than a, you know, a good little recognition of, of success. And you can see that confidence sway in, in the, either the student or the athletes, uh, you know, hitting their eyes and their the way they kind of carry themselves, especially leading into a, the next performance.
0: Yeah. Cause you see a lot of, um, cause yeah, you see a lot of times, you know, athletes, they'll miss a free throw or miss a penalty shot. They come off the ice or the court, they're hanging their heads pretty low. And as a coach, you know, me as a rookie coach, sometimes I'm like, you don't know what to say other than, good job, buddy. Like Dorian, you'll, you'll get them next yeah. time. Right. Um, and I wonder yeah. to myself, like, could I have said something different to, to perhaps um, get that motivated? Or is there anything that I could have said to, to, you know, get that kid's head a little bit higher, you know?
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, the next, besides, you know, just being consistent uh, which was always my first tip, the next one ties in nicely with exactly what you're bringing up here is the idea of, of kind of monitoring the language that you use. Um, you know, we try to, this kind of gets tied in with that, I, the concept of self talk as well, because uh, we do tend to be more critical of ourselves when we, you know, that little voice in your head that uh, kind of appraises everything you do tends to be more negative, right? You tend, to, if you're coming off of a, a bad shift or a bad, uh, you know, bad performance, Or, especially if you're going into that next performance following a bad performance, um, you're typically talking to yourself. The average person, instead of um, giving instructional self talk, it's more so giving yourself avoidance self talk. So, for example, you wouldn't be, if you missed a bunch of free throws next time you're at the line, Typically, your, your self-talk would be more along the lines of don't miss this next shot, right? Don't miss, don't miss, don't miss rather than sink this shot, right? Whereas, uh, you know, I always would, would kind of make the observation that it's really the only area of thinking that we, we think negatively like that or that we talk negatively, right? Where we, we look, we talk about what we don't want to happen, right? Rather than what we do want to happen. So is this something
0: that coaches should be responsible for in terms of teaching our athletes uh, during practice? Is this something that athletes should be picking up on their own? Like, wh- where does this
2: this where does this come from? This messaging. Now, I don't think the coach necessarily needs to, um, you know, make it a make it a rule or a protocol on their team that everything has to be positive, but they can be aware of their own language, right? They can be aware of um, you know how they. You know, give that that verbal persuasion on the bench after a missed shot. Um, you know, instead of you know, say you know, relaying the message, "Hey, don't miss next time." It's you know, <laughs> it's it's do screw this up, Jimmy. Yeah, it's keeping it positive, keeping it productive too, keeping it something action oriented, right? Like you're not you're not avoiding behavior. You are, you know, you're doing something that you want to accomplish, right? Oftentimes, we will hear that. Uh, that advice of, okay, well, just don't ignore the crowd or, you know, don't think about, don't think about how big of a shot this is. You know, that's, that's not exactly always the best advice because avoiding behavior, you know, those, that pressure that, um, you know, that, that build up has to go somewhere. And if we're too busy trying to, you know, stifle those nerves and stifle that, that, um, situation and not giving it the respect it deserves, that's when we start to see, um, eventual, you know, situations that can fall under the category of choking or, uh, you know, performance breakdown. So, um, you know, a lot of the work that, that I would do one-on-one with athletes, but also some that I would preach to, to, uh, coaches would be just to be open, to be productive. Don't work like, don't uh, Well, here I am with don't, uh, to use, positive, uh, positive language or instructional, um, action oriented language rather than avoidant language. And it's, it can be tough as, you know, I just caught myself doing it, but, uh, right. yeah, that is, that is certainly one area that, um, yeah, coaches can, can pay attention to. Damn. I kind of regret telling one of my
0: athletes, he's not getting dinner. If he's not gonna hit this free throw then. <laughs> Oops. Okay. I guess I learned something All new right. today then. Um, going back to, What we were talking about earlier in terms of choking and high pressure situations. Mm. As a coach, let's go, let's use hockey as an example since you're coaching that. Is there a way to simulate high pressure situation? Like there's obviously no way to create, you know, a playoff situation, you know, down one goal with, you know, here's the penalty shot, right? It just you need the crowd there. You just need it's it's hard to simulate that. So how do coaches then coach your athletes to perform under those high pressure environments because let's be honest right playing in practice versus playing a regular season game midway through versus playing a playoff game down by one point is totally different scenarios so how do you or do you train your athletes for those once in a you know lifetime moments
2: yeah that's that's a tough one and um you know that reminds me of the like the first question that kind of got me into the field of sports psychology, um, you know, being able to recreate those high stress situations. And if we, you know, we'll definitely, we could definitely get back to hockey, but to even gear it down one step below there. Um, when I used to walk to school, (laughs) when I used to walk to school, I would try to walk along the curb, right? As, as long as I could, kind of like a tightrope, right? Walk along that curb and see how far I can make it without falling off. Right. And I used to, I was awesome at it. I would be able to make it as long as I could. And I remember thinking, I would always have the thought, like, would I be able to do this if this curb was a hundred feet in the air? Right. Would I still be able to do it as effectively? And that question, I remember, like I was I was at a young age thinking that. And I remember realizing that, no, that would change everything, right? That would change this performance. And sure enough, you, first time I ever did a high ropes course type thing where you you have to walk across a log that's yeah, 40, 50 feet in the air, um, anybody that's ever you know participated in one of these high ropes courses, uh, you can feel that anxiety because now the stakes are higher, right? There is more dire consequence. Literally. Yeah, literally. They're literally <laughs> higher. So it, uh, yeah, it did beg the question, can you recreate these, these situations? Is there a way that I can practice walking along a, a, you know, a foot high curb and still have that same simulation of, of being in that, that high pressure situation? And the answer is probably no, you can't really recreate it. That situation is unique. It's what, you know, anxiety kind of builds off of. And, you know, the term anxiety is so has such a negative connotation to it, but in, in the world of performance, we, we actually need anxiety, right? We need a bit of anxiety. If you aren't experiencing any anxiety in any performance that you're doing, chances are you're not really into it, right? It's not something that you're passionate about, right? If you're experiencing that anxiety for, for a high pressure situation, um, chances are you're in the right place, right? You're doing what you're passionate about and your body is responding accordingly, right? Your body is made for to, to react to these situations, right? That fight or flight response is what we feel in those high pressure situations. Whether whether we're talking about sport or, you know, performances like writing a test, right? It means that you, you have that desire to be successful. Um, we actually used to have a well the research actually for, for performance and anxiety shows a nice little inverted u right if we were to be looking at a graph it follows that inverted u um, kind of zone of optimal performance meaning that you know if your anxiety is low your performance will likely be low if as your anxiety gets higher your performance will typically get higher and then after a point Uh, that optimal zone where that term, the zone comes from after you kind of reach that heightened point of anxiety, if your anxiety continues to grow, then you'll see your performance kind of falter and and drop. So, um, that, that term kind of finding the zone, um, oftentimes can be tied in directly to anxiety and finding that, uh, that sweet spot, right. Um, and so that was, that was one practice that I would often use with my athletes. Um, and again, a lot of times it's just make like drawing awareness to it, the, the therapeutic effect of, you know, for most counseling sessions, but especially for sports psychology is just drawing attention to those mental skills that we often use, um, but don't necessarily appraise or don't, we don't necessarily, you know, keep track of them um, or view them as a skill. Even many people would just kind of view it as the way it is. Oh, you know, high pressure situation. I, I usually get a little nervous, feel little butterflies in my stomach and that's just the way it is. Whereas these, you know, performance psychology approach kind of looks at, well, what is it about that situation that is getting you to that point? What is it about those butterflies that, uh, you know, is, is changing or altering your performance. There was an excellent quote, um, by one of my favorite, favorite, uh, uh, practitioners from one of the kind of godfathers of, uh, of sports psychology. He, uh, he uses the quote, um, it's not about overcoming the butterflies in your stomach or trying to quiet the butterflies in your stomach. It's about getting them to fly in formation. And, uh, it was a, it was a nice, Nice perspective to look at, and when it comes to anxiety, that's always been kind of uh, the goal: is to yeah get right. those butterflies to fly in formation.
0: So let's talk about then uh, mindfulness, and I'm looking at the time, I'm trying to be mindful with time as well. Uh, we're running out of time, so we're, you know, let's talk about mindfulness. We'll wrap this one up, and then we'll talk about some of the other questions our caller had on perhaps uh, a part two of this episode. Um, so let's focus on mindfulness. Um, and this is something that I know Appleby and our school has been really focusing on as of late. In fact, I think we created a brand new department and role for for mindfulness right. at our school. And I know a lot of schools are hopping on this train and apps like Headspace is now giving away free subscriptions for, for teachers to not just for their own classroom, but for themselves as well. So have you seen mindfulness practices make its way mainstream into the sports world or into kind of just you know, the courts and uh, coaching clinics. Um, and number two, you know, do you do anything with your hockey players or, or soccer players and take, you know, five, 10 minutes out of your practice to preach some of those things?
2: Uh, there definitely is kind of a space for for the practice of mindfulness in, in sports psychology. Um, it would definitely fall on that spectrum that I talked about earlier, as far as what would be, uh, you know, helpful for, for athletes. So if we were to be talking about athletes that, um, you know, need to control their emotions, yeah, that would definitely be somewhere where something where, where mindfulness could be of assistance. Um, so there was actually a really interesting overlap between uh, the idea of, of yoga technology and sports psychology, all kind of coming together. My uh, one of my mentors in in the field, he and I were looking into this product. Um, it's called the Muse. It was it's been used uh, quite, quite often in in mindfulness practice. Uh, it was big with yoga practice. They were selling them at Chapters Indigo for years. Um, and what it is, it's essentially a headset that you wear and it Works similar to an EEG, an electrocephalograph, that it actually measures your cortical brain wave, so it gives you a little bit of uh, an inside look at how, how your brain activity um, and the way that the app that was associated with this uh, this um, software hardware was uh, it allowed you to kind of calm your calm your nerves or calm your uh, your thoughts. And it would give you some biofeedback as far as how you were able to uh, to do that throughout the the session. Now, this is something that we actually looked into, and um, I believe they they actually created an interface for kind of a sports psych practice, and we were using it to essentially work on emotional control. So, you know, getting getting athletes to you know, almost enter that that heightened state of awareness of, of, of arousal or anxiety where they were experiencing almost too much anxiety, and then seeing how well they can control their emotions and bring themselves back to more of a baseline, or even better, back to you know that optimal zone. And so we did use this software and it did incorporate a lot of the kind of mindfulness practice, you know, essentially just being aware of the moment, being aware of the uh you know the impact of of the moment and um, you know breathing exercises and uh, you know mantras and anything that basically brought your your um, attention back to you know the task at hand. Um, and so this is something that we we did get a lot of valuable tips and tricks out of. Um, you know a lot of athletes would report using a mantra using something a performance mantra and since then you know we've used that to uh, you'll often see athletes you know writing some some form of a mantra on their like for hockey if we're looking at i i have recommended this to a number of our players in the past um you know finding a word or a term and writing it on their stick or on their glove, right? So that they can kind of return to whatever that baseline is. And it's not, it's something that does need to be practiced right outside of the game. Um, And it ties in perfectly with the kind of the the theories and the practice of, of mindfulness, but you're using it in a kind of high pressure competitive situation. And instead of trying to bring yourself down to a complete relaxed baseline, you're trying to bring yourself into a, this competitive zone of optimal performance. Um, so again, the, the, you know, the, the mantras are, are one, being aware of what that optimal zone of performance looks like, or feels like for the individual athletes is also really important. Um, but we can't, we have seen, different uh, sports psych practitioners and athletes use these these teachings in in different ways and using the concept of mindfulness in different ways interesting
0: you know what keeps me relaxed uh, i just drink vodka sodas and, <laughs> i'll do it too in the zone i'll definitely do it <laughs> just start bringing vodka sodas and putting it into the water I'm like here you guys drink this it'll make you perform better <laughs> Um, I'm looking at the time, uh, Sean, and we are definitely running out. Wow, there's so much more to talk about. So, why don't we put a pin in this? Why don't we come back next week instead and we'll finish up our conversations and we'll talk about things like team dynamics and coaching and how that affects uh, performance uh, on the court. And we'll also talk about stresses in terms of rehabilitation. Uh, how does that sound oh, to you, Sean? That sounds great. My favorites. We'll save the All best. Right, guys. For us. Absolutely. Uh, everyone else, thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of The Teacher Hotline. And of course, if you enjoyed this week with Sean and I, feel free to come back next week. We're going to talk about some of these other topics within the world of sports psychology. And trust me, you're not going to want to miss this. Guys, thank you so much. And we'll see you guys next week.
1: Woo!